We've been studying Psalms 51, and I think we'll just uh, continue on with that. We'll be, uh, our lesson will start out in uh, verse 12. And uh, let's, uh, let's start in verse 7, and we'll read down through a few verses. Psalms 51. Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And, and I like that scripture. We see that Job realized washing himself would not make him clean. He said, If I wash myself with snow, make my hands never so clean, yet thou shalt plunge me in a ditch. My own clothes shall abhor me. So the psalmist here is asking that the Lord wash him and wash him with hyssop. Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And of course he's saying make me because if he doesn't make us, we would not uh, hear this. And, and on bones, let me mention it again because that was such a blessing. If you take that word bones and change it to, to uh, uh, strength because that's what it means if we just had the Greek word there. Uh, Make me hear joy and gladness that the strength which thou hast broken may rejoice. And I don't think we can really rejoice about our salvation until he breaks our strength, until we realize we can't make it. Because as long as we think we can make it, then you still have this gray area. Well, I'm not sure, and, and most of you, I've heard it, and you probably have too, I don't know if I've been good enough or not. And is there any joy in that? There's no joy in it thinking you might spend eternity in Lake Afar. I don't know if I've been good enough or not. So uh, uh, he breaks that strength, and we realize, <laughs> no way I can make it. No way. And, and I like, as far as the poor, we've talked about the poor before. We're so poor, we can't pay our own way. And when he, brings, when he breaks our strength, because... You see people on television, you read tracts, you talk to people. They think they can. They think their way is based on their works. And, and it varies from taking the first step or just accepting him or praying through or holding on. It's all, they it seems like they have to leave room to where man gets some honor and glory. So their strength is not broken. So when he breaks our strength, we realize there's only one way, and that's through him. Then we rejoice. Uh, nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit, a free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors the way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. 
<coughs> so verse 12 says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing or holy or free spirit. So restore means, well, once had something, and then it's going, and then it's restored again. That's what it, restore means. So does this mean that he once had his salvation? And he lost his salvation? And then he's asking that the Lord would return the salvation to him? Is that what it's saying? Can we be on our way to heaven? Have salvation? And then do something or don't do something? And we're on our way to the lake of fire? And then we pray, restore to me my salvation, and then we're on our way to heaven again? Is that what it's saying? It's not what it's saying at all. It says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not asking to restore salvation. You can't lose your salvation. If it's based on us, we could. But the salvation that Jesus Christ paid for, he's not a failure. He paid it in full. He redeemed us. So he's asking for the joy to be restored in him. So there are, are uh, I guess, times when we, uh, of course, when we first really begin to see our salvation that it's all through Christ and what he's done and we uh, I remember again I used to be have a terrorizing fear of God and then as he brought me back to the church as an adult and I heard brother Don brother Austin teaching about our heavenly father and his love so then instead of just looking at God the judge I looked at God, my heavenly Father, who cares and loves us. So then, when we see that, and we see that he has elected us, and he has chosen us, Clara May, there's, there's great joy when we first see that. Maybe there are seasons when we don't look to that as much. Maybe the seasons we uh, take it for granted or something. And I think we all have a little bit of a roller coaster in that respect. But then there'll be seasons when he will restore the joy of your salvation. You realize, and many times, well, of course, he can use any different way. But when you see people that hasn't seen that, they don't have that security. Then you see that he's given that security to you. He's elected you. And that joy comes rushing back, doesn't it? Uh, so, again, many don't see the joy of the salvation. They look at their own works and their own righteousness and, and the best they can do. And there's no, there's no joy in that. There's no joy. You, uh, I'll mention it again. I'll mention it, I suppose, hundreds of times. But a lady uh, told me one time, she says, well, she said, used to, I didn't. Uh, doubt my salvation, but now I do. So what she's saying, used to, I knew for sure I was going to heaven, but now I may go to the lake of fire. Is there any joy there at all? Can't be any joy there. 
talk to people that's maybe uh, going to have a very serious surgery. And they'll say, and they've been what they thought was a good Christian all their life. And then they say, but I don't know if I've been good enough or not. Is there any joy in that? Thinking you might be going to the lake of fire. There's no joy there at all. So I want us to have joy in our salvation. And, and let's, uh, you could go in many places. I want to go to Hebrew chapter 4 to look at that and joy. And I'm not saying that the word joy is used here. But it's certainly something that gives us joy. Hebrew chapter 4. And uh, let's, let's go back to verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of, uh, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So it's talking about the entering into this rest and seeing and understanding this rest. Because if you don't see and you have an internet rest, then there is no joy. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So they didn't have faith. So the word preached didn't give them any joy. And we can, a way to look at this, the works of the law, faith in Jesus Christ. That's the two things. What it says faith, that's what it's talking about. Faith in Jesus Christ or works of the law. In verse 3, for we who have believed, and let me just stop there. You and I on our own, would never, ever, ever believe. We would choose darkness rather than light and be so happy with it, as much as the world is today. So when we talk about believing, thank the Lord that he's caused you to believe, he's caused you to see, he's caused you to believe, and then we have faith. So when you hear that word believed, uh, it's something for you to be grateful for. Verse 3, For we who have believed do enter into rest. As he said, If I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So talking about entering into rest and talking about a work being finished. So what work, you talk about rest. If you talk about rest, you can talk about uh, our Sabbath, which is not a day of a week, but our rest is Jesus Christ, of course. And if you read on down through there, it tells you a little more of that. But although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, so uh, those that bleed said, I sworn my wrath that they shall enter into my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So, 
Have you entered into his rest? Or are you still feel it's necessary to labor? Now, I'm not saying, and this is not saying, that we're not to be stewards of the Lord and he's given us uh, work and, and things uh, and he will perform that as well. It's not saying that. Mr. Toma, have you entered into his rest? The works are finished from the foundation of the world. Now, at work right now, I'm always behind, but we're opening up a new property, and uh, it's, uh, there's no rest. I'll just say it that way. There's no rest. When I get that done, there's always something else, but my goodness, what it would be to, oh, it's, it's done, rest. Well, this, there is. The work is finished. When was it finished? From the foundation of the world. So what, what work is he talking about that was finished from the foundation of the world? Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 13. It'll tell us something happened. And, and you can debate uh, when it talks about the foundation of the world. Is it talking about the foundation of mankind, when mankind was started, was talking about when the earth was actually formed or things along that line. Either way, it's before you and I were born. So that, to me, I, you can have that other argument, doesn't mean too much to me. It's before we were born. Uh, so Revelation 13 and verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know the length of time the earth's been here. There's a debate there as well. Uh, Adam and Eve, wouldn't know how long they was in the garden before they sinned, before they fell. We just, we don't know that. There's, you can have some track, some time after that, but before that, there, there is none. But this lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, of course, is Jesus Christ. You say, well, he wasn't slain. It's been a couple thousand years ago, but there was time before that. But this says he was slain from the foundation of the world. What's it talking about? This was God's plan. And in God's plan, Jesus Christ was the lamb that would be slain. Now, God's plan was in eternity past. Yes, before the foundation of the world. And that's what this is saying. Yes, he wasn't slain until <coughs> a couple thousand years ago. But that's not when God came up with this plan. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was a, as a lamb slain. The sentence was passed. I can call it a sentence, but Jesus Christ agreed to that. Maybe I should just say the price was set. Maybe it's a, better, it's a much better way of saying that. Because uh, in the Hebrew it says, uh, talking about Jesus, it said, because of the joy that's set before him, he endured the cross. So sometime back here, before the foundation of the world and eternity passed, 
God the Father set his elect before Jesus Christ. And he says, because of the joy that's set before him, he endured the cross. That's why he went to the cross. So whenever eternity passed, that took place. That's when the lamb was as he was slain. The contract, the covenant was made. Wasn't going to break it. Although he literally might not be slain until thousands of years later, but it was as if he was already slain because that was a covenant. It was going to come to pass. So, that covenant that was honored, entered into at that time, Jesus Christ was going to finish the work, but Claire Bay, it was finished before the foundation of the world when the covenant was made. So we, we studied one time, you know, what happened before the foundation of the world? Well, a lot happened before the foundation of the world. But go to a very familiar scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. Greatly loved, but greatly hated by many. So this tells us something that happened uh, before the foundation of the world. And this is that work that was finished. And this is what we have joy in. So before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and verse 4. This is the work that was finished. This is the reason we have rest. This is the reason we have no thoughts of laboring for our righteousness, for our salvation, for anything. Ephesians 1 and 4. According as he, that's God the Father, hath chosen us, that's his elect that he chose, in him, that's Jesus Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus Christ wasn't actually slain at that time, but it entered into that covenant, entered into that contract, and just the same as if he'd been slain at that time, it was going to happen. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chose his elect in Christ before the foundation of the world. And what was the purpose of that? That we should be holy without blame before him in love. How will those be presented? The ones that was chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. And Christ was that lamb that was slain. And he says this was done that we should be holy without blame before him in love. That's exactly how they're going to be presented. Holy and without blame. That's our rest. In verse 5, another a dreadfully heated, uh, hated word. Having predestinated us to the adoptions of sons. One time there was a uh, individual and, and uh, I guess he was a truck driver and, and we had on kind of a regular schedule I would see him and <coughs> I found out later, Linda you'll remember this, but uh, 
He was trying to get me saved. Uh, Cordy, that's his words, I think. And, uh, but he, each time he'd come, he'd give me a little note, a little scripture. And just a little note, scripture, and, and read this. And then the next time I come back, you read this. I said, yeah. So each time we'd talk a little more, a little more. So one day we, the talk was, was very lengthy. And he says, you're not going that predestination on me, are you? And I said, well, I acted dumb, which is real easy for me to do, by the way. But anyway, I said, I, I don't know. I said, but it talks about in the scriptures about some uh, God choosing before the foundation of the world and God uh, doing things before and then it come to pass later. Oh, okay, as long as you're not going that predestination. Well, that's exactly what predestination is. But it says, having predestinated, predetermined. Now, if you're like me, you predestinate things. You plan things ahead. You plan things before time. But if you're like me, you don't have the power to bring it to pass. If it does come to pass, it's because the Lord did it and, and not us. But having predestinated beforehand. Before when? Before the foundation of the world when the covenant was made. Having predestinated us unto the adoptions of sons. By Jesus Christ to himself according. Now here's where the world wants to change this. It's according, have you accepted Jesus? Have you, and I, I'm sure you've heard like this. The, there was an individual who passed away one time. Somebody was talking to him and they said, uh, had they made their life right with God? So is it according to if you made your life right with God? Is it according if you took the first step? Is it according if you prayed through? Is it according if you believe? What's it according to? Because it says according. According to the good pleasure of his will. You know, most of our battle with the religious world is about free will, which gives honor and glory to man. But I'd like to ask, so this is according to the good pleasure of his will. So if, if we've entered into his rest, because he's caused us to see that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and, he, and God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy without blame before him in love, then by our free will can we override that? Can we make that of no effect? What if our will is contrary to God's will? And that's what I like to, to tell people when I talk about we're free more agents. What if God wills this and we will this? Well, they don't think about too much that way. But whose will is going to come to pass? Well, it's God's will. Now, they will say, well, I'm not a puppet on a string. God's not controlling me. But that is, that is foolish. But it's God's will, and that's what it says here. According to the good pleasure of his will. And see, that's where we have rest. It's not our will, our choices, our decision, our believing. 
It's not any of that. According to his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And we hear that word, we use that word, we sing the song, Amazing Grace. That's an unmerited favor of God. That's what will determine if we go to heaven. That's what will determine if we have everlasting life. His grace, unmerited favor. But the world thinks it's not unmerited. We deserve it. And I heard the man one time, and I, it came to my mind again, and I'm going to share it with you again. He says, you do all these things. And I don't, Rhonda, I don't know his list, but it, all, it starts with you taking the first step, you believing, you choosing, you praying through, you turning over a new leaf, all these things. But this man said, and when you do all this, and you get to the pearly gates, God owes it to you to let you in. Is God indebted to you? Does God owe you anything? What a, these are good people, good human beings, good citizens, good neighbors. But you see what they're saying? Uh, and so there's no grace. That's not grace. If we get to heaven on anything, we, and I don't care if it's accepting, choosing, believing, it's not grace. It's no longer grace. So think of grace often. Think of mercy often. And his mercy is not because we deserve it. It's because of his grace as well. So to the praise of the glory of his grace, through faith, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We couldn't make ourselves. He has made us accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption. Through us turning over a new leaf. No, that's not it. Not it. Sister Helen's not here. We talk about that. Used to talk about that turning over a new leaf uh, often. And there was somebody that she knew. And they said, that leaf's just dirty on the other side as it is on that side. We're all an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are filthy rags. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to. Here's another according to. According to how sincere you were. According to the riches of his grace. You see the rest. You see the peace that we have as he makes us. See this as he makes us understand this. And that's by his grace. We didn't deserve it. Unmerited favor. Again, sometimes we do take it for granted. And then by God's grace in his own way, he'll remind us. And it's blessed when he does. But I think sometimes we appreciate it most when we talk or hear about somebody else that does believe that they are free moral agents. They, they do believe they get to heaven on the basis of what they do. They do believe their righteousness is according to what they do. Then we feel most blessed. Uh, okay, well, let's get back to our lesson. 
Psalms 51, uh, 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me uh, with a willing spirit or Holy Spirit. So we ask that he would return to us some oft times the joy of his salvation. And again, whenever he calls us to see, whenever he breaks our strength, he calls us to see that the work was finished from the foundation of the world, then we have joy. And he restores, never lose your salvation, those he's given it to, but that joy, that salvation be restored unto us. In verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So is this kind of bargaining a little bit with God? Restoring to me the joy of thy salvation, then I'll teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted. And that last word there. Sinners shall be converted, or last two words, I guess, unto thee. A lot of people don't know what it means to be converted. But he says, if you restored to me the joy of thy salvation, and I understand that I have rest in my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Not converted to the flip that leaf over. Converted unto thee. We don't convert people to be uh, more worshipers of the letter of the law. Convert them to thee. Convert them to his rest. Convert them to his completed work. And uh, says, then I'll teach others. And this is not done uh, out of commandment that we teach others. It's, it's, it's done out of love. As he gives us this joy, and then it's not burdensome to teach others. You say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher. That's not where all teaching takes place. But as God brings people into our lives and, 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 uh, and causes us, uh, he brings them into our lives, and, and you see people that believe in their own free will, believe that that's the way. Don't you want to Teach them. Don't you want them to be converted to look to Jesus instead of looking to themselves? And of course we do. Uh, it's challenging because, and sometimes I've done this as well, maybe you have too. Well, they'd never believe the truth, so I, I don't say anything. And I'm ashamed when I do that. And chances are you're probably right. They may never see it. But then again, they might. So this is something that, uh, uh, again, he's not bargaining with God. He just, it's just a, a fact or a, a statement. It says, uh, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a uh, Holy Spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. The next verse talks about delivering as well. We'll have to get that next week. But... Uh, he says, you restored to me the joy of thy salvation, then I'll teach them. Is he bargaining with God? 
No, he's not. He's just stating a fact. He said, you, re joy, you restored to me the joy of thy salvation that I was chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. Then I'll teach transgressors that they may be converted unto thee. It's not, it's not, it's not bargaining. It's just, it's just a fact. And, and give an example. Uh, we're, uh, if you put a uh, hamburger in a skillet and you turn the burner on high and you leave it there for an hour, <laughs> what's going to happen? What's the result going to be? The result's going to be it's burned. It's burned up. That's the result. So this is simply a result here. Lord, if you restored to me the joy of thy salvation, cause me to see that it's all because of what Jesus did, all because I was chosen, in you, that you chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Lord, restore that joy unto me, and the result will be others will be converted unto thee. Not, not converted unto themselves or the law of Moses, but converted unto thee. So, not bargaining with God, but he is asking, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Then we'll be teaching them about Christ. Our witness will be about Christ, not about ourselves and what we do or don't do. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We're dismissed.